It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Well, welcome back after Thanksgiving. I hope you had a wonderful weekend with your friends and family, or if it was just friends that you made like family, which is what we did. We had we were welcomed into the homes of some dear friends, and we had just a wonderful Thanksgiving. We did notice, however, that gas prices have not gone down. Have you noticed that? They're still very high, you know, uh, like mid three over $3 a gallon, and sometimes with premium more than that. And so President Biden, since this was, you know, Thanksgiving weekend, uh, ordered 50 million barrels of oil released from the strategic reserves. Now, uh, the headline says, in, in a bid to cool surging prices. The problem, it was, it was only three days worth of uh, usage. It's really verse, virtually worthless. And the problem with releasing our reserves is that they are, after all, our reserves. And having shut down the Keystone Pipeline and production of oil and gas, and natural gas in this country, uh, the, the president is putting us in great danger. And so one might ask, why would he do that? Well, I think, you know, politically, his poll numbers are going down. He's worried. He's hoping to make you think that he's doing something for you. But as a matter of fact, he is depleting the only reserves we have. And by the way, uh, primarily, according to uh, Fox Business, most of that reserve is going to China and India because, after all, they are suffering shortages too. So we are sending them our reserves. That means if we cannot get gasoline and cannot have a heating oil for the winter, uh, those are our reserves, and we are sending them to China and India. So I just thought I would cheer you up with that little bit of information. But I think the real reason that they are trying to deplete our reserves, and they are, uh, was expressed pretty openly by Senator Ben Cardin. Let's listen. When gas goes up, all prices somehow seem to follow. President Biden says he is releasing 50 million barrels from the strategic oil reserve. That's great. But Americans, in fact, use an average 20 million barrels a day. So can 50 million have any significant impact? Well, it, it will have an impact. Uh, the, the challenge, of course, is we have to transition off of the fossil fuels to renewable fuels. We need to do that for our economy. We need to do it for our environment. We need to do it for our national security and not to have these uh, uh, variants in uh, the price of, of gasoline at the pump. So uh, for all those reasons, we have to accelerate our program to get off of fossil fuels. And that leads us to what the Senate's going to be taking up when we come back, the balanced budget uh, the uh, Build Back Better mm -hmm. uh, budget. Uh, that is uh, very much contains uh, a commitment to the climate agenda. Yes, it does. And so that's what Senator Cardin just explained to you. It isn't really about gas prices or trying to help you drive for less money or, you know, getting this back in order, getting gas and oil running. No, 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 not really. It's actually about eliminating the use of fossil fuels. It's about moving to electric cars 
uh, which is what they have in this Build Back Better. It's really a bloated a wish list of the far left. And part of it is the entire Green New Deal. And uh, they're trying to beef up, you know, they want it, they're spending, they're going to spend billions on electric, electrical outlets around the, the country to, you know, he, power your electrical cars. And they're going to subsidize the electric car industry. They want your car to become obsolete. This is exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to completely eliminate your ability to use fossil fuels. Fuel. The problem is, I'm not an expert in this, but the experts that I talk to tell me that we are nowhere near ready uh, to to do away with fossil fuels. It would take a much greater, longer transition period. This is going to be a hardship. This is going to make people unable to heat their homes and drive their cars. People who need to drive, who live in more rural areas and don't have a bus and train transportation, which is, by the way, what the left has in mind. They want all of us out of cars and at their mercy with public transportation. So this is exactly what's happening, just so you know. And when Ben Cardin talked about the build back better, it's build back better. It's going to be better. You're going to not, not have that icky car, that big SUV, that truck that you drive out there when you're trying to do your job. You're not going to have that, but that's better. In their mind, that's much better. It's better for them. It's better for the environment. Uh, and, of course, it won't affect them. They'll still be driving. They have chauffeurs and limousines. Uh, someone was just telling me that they'd seen a picture of the lineup of incredibly beautiful, exotic, expensive uh, jets at the climate summit, uh, what, three weeks ago, uh, by all of these people involved in telling us that we can't drive powered cars powered by gas and electric uh, gas and uh, fuel so uh, fossil fuels so uh, this is the way it goes someone has created this poster which they sent to me it's got a picture of um uh, this build back better bill <laughs> also i'm sorry i'm in a cynical mood this morning it also has uh, millions and millions of dollars to help illegal immigrants and um and so there's a picture of a guy an ms13 guy without a shirt and you know how they're tattooed all over their face and their hands and he's got his arms folded and he has he doesn't look very pleasant and uh it says build back illegal parole amnesty for millions of criminal illegal aliens big tech green card giveaway in other words big tech wants to bring in lots more lower paid people from other countries and uh you know farm out american born workers and so it's got tons of that in this build back better bill and billions in welfare and government handouts for illegal immigrants biden by the way, it says, is selling America out to globalists with the reconciliation bill. And indeed he is. That is not an exaggeration. It's absolutely true. And so it'll be interesting to see what Mitch McConnell and the other horrible Republicans in the Senate uh, do about this bill. I just, it'll be interesting to see if they fight back. I, I, my gut tells me because they were so bad on the bill that was passed earlier uh, and I'm just blanking out on which one it happened two weeks ago. And I read you the whole list of senators who, uh, Republican senators who supported it, like Mitt Romney and you know all of uh, uh, McConnell and all of his you know his men who stand behind him when he makes his pronouncements. They all thought it was just such a great idea. It was a 1.2 trillion dollar spending bill, it was the infrastructure bill. I don't know what he's going to do, Mitch McConnell, on this bill, but we will all be watching, won't we? All right, there's another big event this week that you need to know about, and that is the Supreme Court is going to be hearing this challenge coming out of Mississippi, the Dobbs versus Jackson uh, case. It's uh, Jackson Women's Health. It's the only remaining abortion clinic in uh, Mississippi. Mississippi passed a law that would ban abortion after 15 weeks. 
but courts have stayed, you know, implementing that law because, you know, you can imagine the pro-choice, uh, pro-choice, pro-abortion forces are up in arms. And this is the case that most legal scholars believe is the one that will be most directly a challenge to Roe versus Wade. And so because the court has a, you know, um, according to descriptions, I don't exactly see it this way anymore, but uh, six to three conservatives sit on the court. But you'd never know it by the way they decide, would you? Uh, but that's what they're claiming. And so there's tremendous worry that Roe versus Wade will be overturned uh, when this decision is heard on Wednesday. Now, you won't know what the decision is until uh, much later, but they're going to be hearing the case. <clears throat> uh, AFA participated in um, a really interesting piece to fight against this. It was a the gathering of the stories of 375 five women who have been harmed by late-term abortions. And so we helped in, in gathering that Alan Parker, who's the president of the Justice Foundation, was the one who collected them with our help. Uh, and also he was lead counsel for Norma McCorvey. Norman was the famous Roe at Roe versus Wade. I got to know Norma a bit when I was at CWA. She's passed on now. Uh, but the Roe versus Wade was a complete sham. It was based on complete lie. Norma did not experience anything they said she experienced. The radical feminists of that age uh, set this whole case up, and the companion case, Doe versus Bolton, was a lie too, which made abortion legal for all nine months. And you may not have known that that was what the Supreme Court in 1973 decided, that abortion was legal in all 50 states and that you could have an abortion through all nine months. That's what they decided. It was radical. At that time, the United States was, uh, there were only a few states, California, I think, and New York, who were considering, maybe a few others, abortion. None of the other states. It was not popular. It was not something that people wanted. And yet the Supreme Court knew better. They knew better for us. And so they passed Roe versus Wade in its companion case, Doe versus Bolton. So these 375 women have signed affidavits that have been submitted to the court uh, and they've told some incredible stories here. I was just going to read a couple of them. They they signed affidavits describing how they were harmed by their abortions, like injuries such as punctured uteruses and punctured colons and sterility and excessive bleeding. I know quite a bit about this. We did so much about this when I was at CWA. Um, and this is one woman speaking. I was told that I had inside me a piece of flesh, not a baby. I was told that having an abortion would be the solution to my problem, that is, being pregnant. I was told I would have no side effects later if I wanted children. I was told about, not told about the deep emotional and psychological suffering I would go through. And then she went on to describe her subsequent struggles with addiction, depression, her numerous attempted suicides, her lack of self-worth that resulted was a result of that abortion. She said, drove her decision to stay in a relationship after being raped. And there are so many stories that I could read. Um, it's, it's um, you know, it's sad. I think it's, it's sometimes, you know, I'm so familiar with this, I s sort of assume everyone knows, but they don't. Because the abortion forces, so first it's kind of turned up the burner on uh, trying to, you know, push back, especially with Biden in, in office. And so people don't really still know how damaging this is to women. But I would say, I would maintain to you, it's also damaging to men. They should have done an affidavit of men who have been harmed by abortion. Uh, fathers uh, who look back on this with regret and remorse. I remember, again, opening the phone lines in Chicago, just thought, by chance, randomly thinking, maybe there'd be a few men in there out there that would want to say something about how abortion has affected them. And the phone lines were loaded. And I think I spent two hours of my three-hour show on this 
And I hadn't been crying. Men talking about how they had authorized their girlfriend to get an abortion, and every year on the birth date, uh, they remember and weep. Uh, I, t- I th- you know, I just tremendous regret. I wish they'd done one for men, uh, because I- I'm sure some men don't care. I know that's true. I'm not saying every man, but a lot of you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. That you actually, as the protector of your children and of your the the mother of your children, failed. And you actually just said, no, go ahead and kill my child. And it's a big deal. It's a very big deal. And our women, of course, they bear that burden. And let me hasten to say, and I need to say this because some of you did do that and you cannot forgive yourselves. And remember that there's nothing God can't forgive. Uh, what we're trying to do is stop people from doing it so they don't have to do that. They don't have to go through that horrendous uh, regret and also take a human life. Uh, it's just something you don't get over easily. So this is the case that's going to be heard on Wednesday. What do I think about it? I, I don't know. I, I, um, I'm not optimistic. I don't know why, because I don't trust these justices. They have they have uh, disappointed us so often that I don't have much faith that a six to three description of them all being conservative means what it used to mean. But we'll see. Amy Coney Barrett, you know, made her bones. Uh, saying she was pro-life, or at least indicating she the decisions that she made in the courtroom for, for preferred life, and she's adopted several children, but she's disappointed us on so many other things that I just will see. The proof is in the pudding, and the pudding so far has been pretty disappointing. Uh, I my <laughs> okay, so we are going to talk about COVID today because how could we not? We have a new variant. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's uh, what, Omicron or whatever it's called. <laughs> I think it's uh, my, you know, I'm sorry, I'm laughing. I just, uh, this, um, George Raisley over at Conservative Review's good friend of mine, uh, Conservative HQ, and his head- headline on the article that he wrote is, The Midterm Election Variant Arrives Right on Schedule. And I think he's right. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more, but uh, not right now. Because coming up next, we have a, a really interesting uh, uh, candidate joining us. She's running for Secretary of State in Michigan. She's a dynamite gal, and I saw her video, and uh, many people that I know are endorsing her, and I wanted you to get to know her because she has a great story to tell. So stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality is changing hearts and lives. It speaks directly to the power and the grace of God. Gives me hope for people that I know that are struggling. The whole idea of In His Image has moved me. We actually had one gentleman contact us, and he said that this film changed his mind about this issue. We had a pastor reach out to us, and he said that he'd been struggling with hatred in his heart towards people in the LGBTQ community, and this film helped him to realize he needed to have compassion and show people the love of Christ. We also had this same-sex-attracted couple contact us, and they said after seeing the film, they wanted to live obedient lives for Christ no matter what, and they said, please. Please pray for us. We know this is going to be hard. We've even had people come to faith in Jesus through In His Image. To find out more, visit inhisimage.movie. Today we pray for Amy Solomon 
acting assistant attorney general at the U.S. Department of Justice. She oversees about $5 billion annually in grants and resources to support criminal and juvenile justice activities and victim service programs. Proverbs 21.15 reminds us of the importance of justice. When justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask you to guide Amy Solomon in her work at the Justice Department. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. You need a university you can trust that offers a world-class education with the values, knowledge, and skills you need to succeed. That place is Liberty University, and now is the perfect time to start. This fall, Liberty celebrating 50 years of training champions for Christ, a mission that has not wavered since it opened in 1971. With more than 700 programs online and on campus, Liberty can help you turn your vision into a future you can be proud of. Text EXPLORE to the number 49596. That's EXPLORE to the 49596. From Pettis County, Missouri, comes a story of a modern-day Good Samaritan. Marine veteran Zach Walton is a creature of habit, but the other day, he felt compelled to take another route home. He was driving along the H Highway when he witnessed a violent crash. The driver of a pickup truck lost control, went over an embankment, and landed in a creek. Zach rushed to the scene, found the driver trapped inside, water flooding the compartment, So Zach jumped into the water and held the driver's head above the rising water line. Sheriff Brad Anders says it was nothing short of a miracle the driver survived. During a special ceremony at the sheriff's department, he introduced the injured motorist to his guardian angel. The sheriff honored Zach for his courage and empathy, a good Samaritan on a highway who had mercy on a wayfaring stranger. And as the good Lord told us, go and do likewise. I'm Todd Starnes. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Okay, Sandy Rios, back with you. We spent a good amount of time talking about what's going on in Michigan, uh, and we certainly followed the antics of Gretchen Whitmer, the attempted kidnapping uh, of Gretchen Whitmer by the FBI. (laughs) Most of them were FBI that planted that. It was just an amazing story, but Gretchen uh, single-handedly shut down the state of Michigan and made their lives miserable, even still, and, and including not even letting them, you know, plant seed or buy seed for a, a season, making them uh, not go outside. And while she and her husband were wanting to go to uh, use their boat in their recreation area, remember that the hypocrisy of that. The COVID lockdowns in Michigan have been miserable, but of course that followed on the heels of the 2020 election where all kinds of things happen in Michigan. Pat Kolbeck has been our guest several times to talk about that. But I want to remind you uh, that the Democratic Michigan Secretary of State was Jocelyn Benson, and she was right in the thick of some of the nonsense that happened in that 2020 election. Uh, She was the one who issued a memo informing county clerks to delete some election data, even as the Michigan legislature ready to review of the 2020 election. Uh, I'm reading this from Conservative HQ. Again, I'm reading another article for them right in the road from George Raisley. They have endorsed my next guest, and I'm going to tell you about that in just a second. But to remind you, uh, Jocelyn Benson, the Democratic candidate, uh, she uh, uh, 
she, of course, contributed to, according to Conservative HQ, a compendium of election fraud and illegality that contributed to the 2020 presidential election disaster that still haunts our country. To get into specifics, last year, without legislative approval, Benson made the unilateral decision to mail unsolicited absentee ballot applications to 7.7 million addresses in Michigan hiding behind the COVID pandemic as an excuse to do what Democrats have been trying to do for decades, normalize no ID mail-in voting. He was also implicated in the middle-of-the-night ballot dumps that miraculously erased the leads of Republican candidates Donald Trump and John James, and the subsequent cover-up of the potentially statewide problems revealed in Antrim County, which is what Pat has talked to us so much about. Uh, so, And then it could go on. There were TF, TCF workers uh, uh, that were brought into the election and they were told, workers were told to backdate absentee ballots. And we could go on and on, but that was Jocelyn Benson, who still sits in that uh, chair as Secretary of State for uh, Michigan, the beautiful state of Michigan, who are so undeserving of this kind of leadership. But along come Christina Caramo. Along comes Christina Caramo. Christina has thrown her hat in the ring. And before I actually introduce her, I want you to hear this little ad that she has made. Let's listen. I find it curious how our media obsesses over white supremacy in an instance where a white male shoots three other white males, one a convicted child rapist, the other a wife beater, and the third a burglar. That's white supremacy, but calling a black woman a hoping that she gets lynched and beat and assaulted in vulgar ways, that's permissible. Why? Because I'm a conservative Christian. CNN and their thugs who are threatening my life, I am not afraid of you. We're going to fight back even harder. The antidote to neo-Marxism are people like me, people like you, those who love America, who fear God, and are constitutionalists. Because we are fighting for every American, even those who do not agree with us. In the CNN neo-Marxist world, they only fight for people who think like them. So the fixation on race is the rules. Don't fall for it, folks. These Marxists are coming after all of us. We've seen it happen multiple times. They threaten our lives, our businesses, everything about us. And too many people hide but I'm ready to fight. Are you? So join this fight. I'm Christina Caramo, Republican candidate for the Office of Michigan Secretary of State. I'm fighting to secure elections for all people, irrespective of political affiliation. And maybe in America, if we have more people who fear God than their own potential dissatisfaction, it would be a lot better place. Join our fight and save America. Okay, that's Christina Caramo, and she's joining us this morning by phone. Christina, good morning. Sandy, how are you? I'm good now. Christina, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> because you know you're going to be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> I am. I am sure. We don't, it's like you don't have a choice. We're at the point of our nation right now that people who fear God don't stand up and fight back. We're going to lose our nation because the, the Marxists that we're dealing with, I mean, you know, part of the CNN hit piece, they tried to, you know, for, act as though I was ridiculous for questioning all types of things, you know, calling out the government indoctrination centers that we call schools and challenging this notion that, you know, someone has two moms and two dads. I'm, I'm a Christian, so I am going to stand up for Christian principles. I'm going to speak the truth about that. But the thing about it is it's not about me. It's, you know, I think of uh, this time during the Trump administration when they wanted to, uh, Trump was had nominated a gentleman who worked at a Christian school in Illinois, and they, or he wrote a piece regarding the exclusivity of Christ. And Bernie Sanders grilled him on that, and at the end, because he, again, regarding this, his belief, 
And at the end, Bernie Sanders said, I don't believe this man is fit to serve in government. So that's the attitude of many of these people that Christians need not apply. And if we don't push back and stand firm in our faith and be bold in our faith, and that, of course, as we know, includes being loving, if we don't, we're going to lose our country. So we don't have a choice but to push back. Yeah, well, I, I agree with you, Christina. I knew that would get a good answer from you. <laughs> so, you know, I remember that exchange you're talking about. I can't remember who the candidate was, but it was a sitting cabinet member. It was just amazing. Uh, by the way, I should say that uh, you've gotten the endorsement of President Trump. He's given you a ringing endorsement. I know there are other Republican candidates, but you're the first one out of the box. And I think one of the points that uh, conservative HQ makes is that, you know, you don't have the—I think you're— Opponent, the incumbent Jocelyn uh, Benson, has something like over a million dollars in her coffers, and so uh, you're, you're, you know, like most Christians who are fighting for public office, never well funded. So you've got that uh, going. That's going to be a challenge. Uh, but let me just tell people about you a little bit. Uh, Christina has a BA from in communications from Oakland University in Rochester, Michigan. Uh, She got her master's in Christian apologetics from Biola in La Mirada, California. She is currently a professor at Wayne County Community College. She teaches public speaking and college orientation. She was also alumnus of the Discovery Institute C.S. Lewis Fellows Program. By the way, Discovery Institute, I probably haven't talked about it much, but I go back a very long way with them, and uh, they're great thinkers, great thinkers. They were the ones who sort of coined the phrase uh, intelligent design, and they've done a lot. Their fingerprint is all over many of the great things that have happened in this country in the last uh, few decades, uh, and she was an alumnus of their uh, C.S. Lewis Fellows program. Uh, she's been all over television. She's been on Sean Hannity, Fox & Friends, Lou Dobson, uh, the BBC World News Tonight, so she's getting a lot of attention already. Uh, but that's not the point. They, oh, well, she needs the attention because people need to know who she is. Uh, but... Christina, let's talk for a second about what your own did you were you involved or anywhere around in proximity in the 2020 election working on any campaigns or what was your intersection with the actual uh, um, you know the actual election itself? Yeah, so I volunteered on a Trump neighborhood team, did door knocking, road rallies, you know, different campaign events. But in terms of specific the election process, I was at the TCF Center in Detroit, November 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. And when I was there, especially on the 3rd and 4th, is where I just saw fraud. I saw illegal ballots being cast. And, you know, when I went to the TCF Center, I did not plan on being there for 37 hours. That's kind of the interesting aspect, one of the many interesting aspects of it all. I just thought I was going to be there till about 10 p.m. on Election Day. But it was clear to me that I was observing a process designed to support fraud and to corrupt the election. So I couldn't leave. And specifically, I witnessed, and when I testified before the Senate, I uh, spoke about when I was at the adjudication table, so to be brief for the audience, the adjudication process when there's some type of dispute with the absentee ballot or it's a write-in candidate. And so there's supposed to be two people of opposing political parties there. However, in Detroit, they purposely and deceptively underhired Republicans. So at Michigan's largest ballot processing facility, when you have, if you do some rough mental math, about 18, about 800 uh, election workers there, and only a couple dozen are Republican, you, you see how that creates a bad situation where you have some issues where people are deciding what to do with the ballot. And I witnessed two illegal ballots being cast. One specifically just for Joe Biden, and in Michigan, we have straight party ticket voting, and then one ballot was cast illegally 
for a straight party ticket Democrat, even though I objected. And it was a clear case where the voter had clearly voted both straight party ticket Democrat, straight party ticket Republican. And during the objection process, the gentleman overseeing Michigan's largest ballot processing facility instructed the election inspector to cast an illegal ballot for Joe Biden as I was objecting. So, I mean, for the straight party ticket Democrats. So, I mean, this is the kind of things we saw poll challengers' rights being violated. Absolute chaos. I mean, it goes on and on. So I know you, you had Pat on, so you're familiar with the stories, but it, it, it's obscene what we saw in the state of Michigan. It really is. You know, the one story that I never got... Uh that I didn't hear enough to my satisfaction was the story of what happened to John James because we had uh, really um, presented him uh, and and uh, tried to give him as much exposure as possible because he was a he was an outstanding candidate and he's just kind of gone silent and I don't know what's what was your what's your perspective of what happened in that 2020 election to him? You know, I, I, the thing is, none of us have really kn- we really don't know what all happened, and I, the reason I say that. It's because there hasn't been any meaningful investigation into the 2020 election. To your point, John James was an excellent candidate, and he had great principles, great values, and we were surprised to see what happened. But as we know, we see this trend where the conservative candidate, the Republican candidate, will be winning, and then suddenly in the middle of the night, the numbers just shift. So that those types of things are very concerning for people. So I think what happened with Donald Trump, what had happened with him, is that these people... Um, were winning, and then suspicious things start to happen, and uh, illegal things start to happen, but none of us really have an answer because we're being told to be quiet and move on. I mean, if you think about our current Secretary of State, she had a link on her, on the Secretary of State's official website, asking the people of Michigan to report election misinformation. That is a gross violation of not just my freedom of speech, but my right to redress, the redress of grievances. I have a right to air grievances regarding my government. I have a right to scrutinize the election process. But our current office holder thinks the citizens should not. Our election process is overly complex. It's overly complex by design. It's a disenfranchised citizen because when it's so complex, you have no idea what's going on. And then we've relinquished control of our elections to these contractors who now run our elections. This, this is what's happening in our state. So none of us have any real answers on a lot of issues. Because we, the people have turned to being the investigators ourselves because those who run our elections and many of our elected officials don't want to do anything about it, and they're just telling us to sit down and be quiet. It's absolutely unacceptable. Yes, and I should also explain that there, there's there been a concerted effort to get secretaries of state elected in the ver- in the 50 states who are um, – that was a kind of a Soros-targeted uh, area that people weren't watching uh, because the secretary of state is overseeing all the elections – uh, and is in charge of so many things, has a, a tremendous amount of responsibility and uh, and power, really, I guess. And so there was an effort to really replace uh, secretaries of state with people that were more friendly to the left, and that's what they did in Michigan with Jocelyn Benson. So I, just a couple more questions before we run out of time, Christina. Uh, you uh, you are very you do such a great job. You present yourself well. You're articulate. But I'm curious to know how you're playing from your perspective in the black community in Michigan. You know, we're doing outreach now, just talking to voters about the issues that concern us all. You know, the Secretary of State, not only in Michigan as a chief election officer, but they also run what we call our SOS branch office, but most people call their Department of Motor Vehicles. And that has been a dismal failure, um, whether you're talking about people needing to get IDs, or register new vehicles, those things impact people universally, and people are just very frustrated with the overall service they're receiving 
because, for example, I was speaking with an Army recruiter, and in many communities, for many people, you know, when they become adults, they don't get a nice packaging of all their things they need to go get an ID. It's a bit more of a process. And so getting into the Secretary of State's office as quickly as possible is very important for them to get their identification so they can begin their Army career. So there are so many things that we don't think about that the Secretary of State oversees that frustrates people. So I'm I'm confident that we'll do well in the Black community because we're bringing tangible solutions to people's lives. And also one of the things that I'm working on is, is going into areas that Republicans may not necessarily win a lot of times and just talking to people because we can't see any uh, area, any region, any demographic as maybe not a waste of time to reach out to because you know, this area doesn't typically vote for my party. You can't think like that. You have to go into all areas, talk to all citizens so you can effectively service them. And even in areas where I may not uh, win the vote, if you will, in certain cities like Detroit, I still want to be able to communicate with people so when I do replace Jocelyn Benson, I can solve those problems that people are having because it's real-life problems people are dealing with, whether you're thinking of homeless people or whatever. But election security should not be a partisan issue. And that's one of the things I think that's very unfortunate. Uh, election security has been made partisan. It is an American issue. It's a liberty issue. Unsecured elections are a state and national security threat that can be exploited by domestic and foreign enemies. And we saw during the mayoral election there were concerns from some of the primary, one of the primary candidates, complaining about many of the same things that we pointed to in the TCF Center. You know, and I've heard rumors of other candidate, Democratic candidates complaining about things during the city elections, across, not just in Detroit, but across uh, Michigan. It's like, hey, guys, we told you what happened in 2020. You thought it was just going to go away. It's not. So we really want to um, make sure that we reach out to all voters so we can hear yes. their concerns and, and actually bring solutions. Listen, I totally support that. I had a front row seat to how Republicans have uh, felt about minority communities, and, and they don't go in and spend resources for the very reasons that you meant. I think it's been a huge mistake. And so uh, I'm, uh, look, but you are, uh, I, I don't leave, <laughs> Christina, I don't even like to make this about color, I, because you are going to be Secretary of State for all people. We are all Americans, and that's really how I feel about it. But I was curious because I, I wasn't sure how, I wasn't sure how you would play in the black community in Michigan, and that, that remains to be seen. You might be an incredible success. Things are shifting. And so um, how can people help you? Quickly. You know, yes, please visit ChristinaCaramo.com. That's Christina with a K, ChristinaCaramo.com. I need your financial support. Michigan is a battleground state, so I need support of people all over the United States to get behind me and to be Michigan's next Secretary of State. Spiritual warfare is a reality that none of us are going to be able to escape. The scripture reveals that we are engaged in spiritual warfare. We must be. But then the word of God says, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So guess what that means? Our munition supply is not limited to this natural sphere. We're not merely just engaged. We are engaged to win. I like that. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter. Weekday afternoons at 5 Central on American Family Radio. This is Frank Gaffney, host of Secure Freedom Radio. It's your personal daily intelligence briefing about the challenges we face, how they're likely to affect you, and what we can do about them. You can find Secure Freedom Radio here every weeknight at 11 p.m. Eastern Time. Tune in to learn from our extraordinary experts what you need to know and will want to share. Join us for Secure Freedom Radio tonight at 11 Eastern, right here on AFR. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. 
My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. After Jesus resurrected Lazarus, his and Lazarus' fame spread. They already planned to kill Jesus, but now, because Lazarus was tangible evidence of Jesus' resurrection power, the chief priests and Pharisees plotted to kill Lazarus too. They never worried about Lazarus before, but now, because he is a walking billboard of Christ's power, they want him dead too. This, brothers and sisters, is why many come against you. It isn't personal, but satanic forces can't stand your representation of God's power to transform lives. That's why we rejoice when we're slandered for his namesake. Christ's power is on display. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. The church is growing big time in Latin America, and here's why. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International. If you follow groups like Barna who measure church growth in America, they'll tell you it's somewhat stunted. In fact, it may have even dipped here in America. But it prompts you to look at where is it growing around the world. It's in places like Latin America because people are willing to suffer for the gospel. Let me tell you about a church outside of Caracas, Venezuela. They are rescuing women who are kidnapped and forced into prostitution by the drug cartel. They're serious about this. In fact, one of the members was killed by the cartel. His corpse pulled behind a truck to make an example to other Christians to stay out of the way to the cartel. But I can tell you this church is focused on what they believe God has called them to. And they have led more than a hundred women, former prostitutes to faith in Christ. And these women are needing Bibles because they're non-existent in that part of Venezuela. Please, at $5 a Bible, make your most generous gift by calling 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD or give at sendbiblesnow.org. That's sendbiblesnow.org. This is Frank Afty with the Secure Freedom Minute. A particularly egregious example of Joe Biden's wrecking operation is his administration's disregard for religious liberty. Oh, he and his minions like Secretary of State Tony Blinken pay lip service to this foundational freedom, but their actions betray an indifference to its abuse and those being denied it. For example, Secretary Blinken recently enthused about religious liberty's importance while in Nigeria, an Islamist-dominated nation in which jihadists are genocidally murdering Christians. Immediately before, however, the State Department delisted Nigeria as a country of concern, effectively ignoring and legitimating the sectarian bloodletting. Even where Team Biden has recognized religiously motivated genocide is taking place against Muslim minorities in communist China, it is rewarding the practice by refusing to boycott the Olympic Games there in February. We must actually stand up for religious freedom, not enable its abuse abroad and inevitably, eventually, in America. This is Frank Afney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Joe Biden and others have said this is a call to get your booster. Ages five and up, absolutely now with this new variant, get your booster. But what do we know about the vaccine's effectiveness on this new variant? Well, that's exactly the sort of dishonesty right now that is resulting in a massive loss of credibility of public health officials. This new variant has absolutely nothing to do with boosters that we know of. There's no data whatsoever to suggest that a booster would somehow be protective against this particular variant. We don't even know if the immune system works or doesn't work against the new variant. It probably works because of the thousands of variants we've had to date. All are encompassed by vaccinated and natural immunity. But this is a sort of making conclusions without data uh, rationale right now that's, that's alienating people. 
That was Dr. Marty Macari on Fox. Yeah, no data about this new variant, uh, the Omicron or whatever it is called. I think it is. Yeah. Sorry, why don't I know this? Yeah, well, it's the almost something. Uh, the variant, the new one, uh, very concerning. Uh, but now we find out that it's very contagious, but the symptoms are so far mild. But, you know, we're all going to die, so just keep that in mind. So um, they, we have this new variant, and I just read that Pfizer, Pfizer's already saying they're sure that they can change their vaccine, they can tweak it to uh, to cover this variant, so not to worry. I also read that Pfizer, Biotech, and uh, Moderna collectively are making an average of $65,000 a minute on this vaccine. But just keep in mind, this is, you know, you know, strictly uh, their care, they're concerned about your health and about life, trying to save life. It has nothing to do with money, nothing, and nothing to do with politics. Uh, that's why, uh, you know, uh, that's why Trace Gallagher was talking with um, Francis Collins. The ridiculousness of all of this is just unbelievable. Francis Collins is the director of the National Institutes for Health. I guess to give you background, I've mentioned this before, but I'll say again, Francis Collins used to be a hero to the Christian community. Uh, he was, um, uh, when we talk, we started into biotech uh, issues and the, the DNA, he was just a real a champion, and we thought he was so brilliant. I don't, he can't, how could he have gotten dumb? I don't understand how decades can make you dumb. He's either dumb or he's extremely compromised, and his dumbness uh, can be displayed by this interaction he had with Trace Gallagher. Uh, let's listen to how he cannot answer this obvious question. Clip 11. I want to put up the four states and their vaccination rates because that really kind of gives us an idea here of where we're going. You see Michigan, 54% vaccination rate, a new case rate of 59%, Maine kind of the same thing, very high vaccination rate, high new cases, New York, 68, 22. You look at the bottom there, Dr. Collins, you have Florida, 61% vaccination rate down in cases. You know, it was only a couple of months ago, the media was giving Florida an awful hard time saying that Ron DeSantis policies were all wrong. What What's going on here? Why are some of the states with with some of the most severe lockdowns and mandates doing poorly and states like Florida that have virtually no mandates doing quite well? Well, it all comes down to who is actually getting the disease and especially who's getting sick enough to be in the hospital or to die. Keep in mind, Getting a, a mild case of the illness certainly happens as breakthroughs from the vaccinated mm -hmm. folks, although boosters really help prevent that. But if you're talking about who's in the hospital and who's dying, those are still the unvaccinated people. And there are lots of those mm -hmm. in all the states you just mentioned. If there's a lesson here, it's come on, America. We have missed the chance to be at a much higher level of vaccination across the country that would put us in a stronger position. For all those reasons of misinformation mm -hmm. that people have heard, we've not done what we should have done to protect ourselves. If if Omicron is one more wake up call, then let's wake up and come on, America, you can do this. These d vaccines mm. are safe. They're effective. People have been using them for more than a year. 200 million people plus have gotten injected. These are something you want for yourself, your family, your community. So let's review. Uh, Trace Gallagher is asking him why the numbers in Florida are so low uh, when the states that have the highest vaccination rates uh, the numbers are uh, climbing, and people are dying, and there are many more cases. 
Uh, why is that? How can that be when Florida is uh, not pushing the vaccine? They're, they're doing therapies and their numbers are the lowest in the nation. How can that be? Francis Collins. Well, the answer the the answer is you need to get the you need to get the get the vaccine. Everyone should get the vaccine. Yeah, so I'm sure that makes sense on some planet, but not on the one we live in. Francis Collins has forever lost any kind of credibility he ever had, certainly with me, and pro- uh, hopefully with you too. We cannot listen to him. This is just foolishness, and to continue the foolishness, the theater that we are experiencing. This is a, a, a montage that Andy No posted on his um, Twitter account. It's interesting because Andy hasn't been really posting on this as far as I know, but it's a montage of uh, Democratic politicians as President Trump was forming this team to develop this vaccine. This is what they said about how they felt about a vaccination for COVID. Let's listen. I think it's going to be a very skeptical American public about taking the vaccine, and they should be. We can't trust the president uh, and take his word and take a vaccine that might cause harm to us. If and when the vaccine comes, it's not likely to go through all the tests that needs to be and the trials that are needed to be done. Let's just say there's a vaccine that is approved and even distributed before the election. Would you get it? Well. I think that's going to be an issue for all of us. When we finally do, God willing, get a vaccine, who's going to take the shot? Who's going to take the shot? We will need to have access to the vaccine results so we can make our independent assessment to make sure that Donald Trump's uh, fingerprints are not on it. You can be the first one to say, put me, sign me up. They now say it's okay. Is the vaccine safe? Uh, Frankly, I'm not going to trust the federal government's opinion. And I wouldn't recommend to New Yorkers based on the federal government's opinion. And the question of whether it's real when it's there, that requires enormous transparency. Would you trust that vaccine? There's very little that we can trust that comes out of Donald Trump's mouth. We cannot take for granted this process will be free of political influence. I don't trust the president, and I don't trust the FDA. If Donald Trump can't give answers and the administration can't give answers to these three questions, the American people should not have confidence. You're going to say to the American people now, here's a vaccine, it was new, it was done quickly, but trust this federal administration and their health administration that it's safe? I will say that I would not trust Donald Trump. How confident are you in the approval process of the FDA right now? How confident am I? Uh, I'm not that confident. Yes, I would be hesitant, but I'm gonna ask a lot of questions. You're going to need someone other than this FDA and this CDC saying it's safe. You got to make all of it available to other experts across the nation so they can look and see. So there's consensus, this is a safe vaccine. Uh, What I'm worried about is that there's some sort of October surprise and that there is a pressure put on the decision makers here to announce the vaccine in October of 2020. We're going to put together our own group of doctors and medical experts to review the vaccine and the efficacy and the protocol. And if they say it's safe, then I'll go to the people of New York and I will say it's safe. But if Donald Trump tells us that we should take it, I'm not taking it. So I wanted you to hear the whole thing. I, I, this, as Andrew Cuomo, the governor, former governor of New York, uh, who instituted such draconian lockdowns and then started pushing the vaccine, the vaccine, the vaccine, once Joe Biden was president, uh, it was Joe Biden over and over again saying that you couldn't trust the vaccine. And then, and then Vice President Kamala Harris, and there were other voices in there too, but 
Uh, that was until it was politically expedient for them. Now, remember, this is a mixed bag, no question about it. Uh, President Trump, who is a favorite of many of us, he's a favorite of mine, uh, pushed to develop this vaccine quickly. And uh, so you could say, well, it's his fault that we're in this situation, and maybe it is. Maybe time will tell, and we could talk about that. I would argue that he surrounded himself with who he thought were the experts, including Anthony Fauci. Uh, and uh, there, there was a. I'm, I'm guessing that they worked really hard behind the scenes to make sure he had the right people, in quotes, as you can imagine, and in good faith uh, trying to push this to save lives. And then somehow it went off track because the Anthony Fauci's of the world had no good intentions, none whatsoever. His history is amazing. This new uh, Patrick um, uh, John. Uh, uh, Kennedy Jr. Gosh, what's his first name? Uh, is it Patrick Kennedy Jr.? Um, no, Robert Kennedy Jr., who's written this book called The Real Fauci. Uh, he's this. He's really exposed who the real Fauci is as though we needed help, but we're learning more about it. This man is very dangerous. Uh, and so that team came around the president, and it's ironic, isn't it, that in the ensuing months here, and ye- now nearly you know over a year, coming up on two years, that people refused, who the people that were refusing to get the virus, as according to the left, were Trump supporters. So even though Trump supporters trusted President Trump, uh, and it, they were not as mindless uh, as they were always accused of, they were independent thinkers. And as they looked into this, they said to themselves, "Wait a second, something's wrong here." And so the irony is that the, the Trump supporters were not sheep. The Democrats turned out to be the sheep, and some Republicans too, for sure. But uh, that's. I just wanted you to hear that. Uh, the uh, one thing that uh, George writes in the Conservative HQ is again the title is the midterm election variant arrives right on schedule because now you know that Joe Biden's approval rating is down thirty six percent. The Democrats are in trouble in the House because of all the things that he's done. There's no question about that. The twenty twenty two election uh, doesn't look real good if if it's a fair election. And so uh, that's why Conservative HQ is calling it the midterm election variant. They've made it very political, and they've used it as a way of controlling all of us. Dr. Fauci uh, was on, um, he was on, I forgot, it was Face the Nation, I think it was. And I, this was amazing to me. This was amazing, but I have to be quiet and let you just listen to the clip. This is clip five. Let's listen. So anybody who spins lies and threatens and all that theater that goes on with some of the investigations and the congressional committees and the Rand Pauls and all that other nonsense, that's noise, Margaret. That's noise. I know what my job is. Senator Cruz told the attorney general you should be prosecuted. Yeah. (laughs) I have to laugh at that. (laughs) I should be prosecuted. What happened on January 6th, Senator? (laughs) Do you think that this is about making you a scapegoat to deflect from President Trump? Of course. You have to be asleep not to figure that one out. Well, there are a lot of Republican senators uh, taking aim at this. That's okay. I'm just going to do my job. And I'm going to be saving lives, and they're going to be lying. It seems another layer of danger to play politics around matters of life and death. Right, exactly, exactly. And to me, that's, that's unbelievably bad because all I want to do is save people's lives. I mean, anybody who's looking at this carefully realizes that there's a distinct anti-science flavor to this. 
So if they get up and criticize science, nobody's going to know what they're talking about. But if they get up and really aim their bullets at Tony Fauci, well, people could recognize there's a person there. So it's easy to criticize. But they're really criticizing science because I represent science. That's dangerous. To me, that's more dangerous than the slings and the arrows that get thrown at me. And if you damage science, you are doing something very detrimental to society long after I leave. Wow. That's the first time, if you watch that clip, that's the first time I've ever seen Anthony Fauci, uh, his facial expressions and his comments, where I thought, look, I don't like him. I think he's a mingala. I've told you that many times. But when I listened to him speak, I could see why people would think he's a nice guy, you know, he's an, I could see why they would be deceived because he's like, comes across, well, you know, you know, Mary, I just don't think. This time, he looked so wicked in that interview, I couldn't believe it. And talking about playing politics, he brings up January 6th, he brings up President uh, Ted Cruz and uh, and Rand Paul, who've both been taking him on full full bore, uh, and laughs. Uh, he, it's just, uh, it's kind of a creepy exchange. And of course, he, then he says, he is science. He represents science. It's funny because Scott Atlas, uh, recently on Tucker Carlson, said described the first meeting that he attended with Dr. Fauci and Deborah Burks and... Robert Red, Redfield were in the room uh, in this, you know, commission to handle COVID. And one of the things he remarked about was how uh, how unprepared, ill-prepared, ill-informed, and how unscientific their presentations were. They didn't challenge each other on the facts. They didn't show any studies. And he said he was he'd never been in a professional medical meeting like that. What there was where it made less sense, and there was there were no facts exchanged. So it is the anti-science. You can see that. Can you not? Can you see that by all the nonsense that's happening? By the way, Japan has been giving out ivermectin, and they have reduced their uh, COVID rate incredibly, enormously. So it makes no sense. You cannot listen to Fauci. You cannot listen to the CDC, the NIH. They are all untrustworthy. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.